We're still in the book of Luke, of course, and still in the first chapter. Today, I hope we're going to look completely at the birth of John the Baptist in verses 57 to 66, and then get into uh, Zechariah's Benedictus in 67 through 80. That would take us to the end of this long chapter. But today we'll focus at least on 57 to 66. Let me read those words to you from the Gospel of Luke. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to the father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Tremendous end to this period of Elizabeth's pregnancy. She's delivering this son. And uh, just as Gabriel promised, of course, his word is true. He's come from the Lord. And that we have here a great instance of mercy. It was a mercy that Elizabeth became pregnant with child in her advanced years. I would guess she's at least 60, maybe beyond that, when she becomes pregnant and has a child. And uh, she who was barren these many years has now delivered this son of promise. What a blessing. There had to be great cheering. She's in the fall of life doing something that most women do in the spring of life their early years having a child. I know what my reaction would have been. How am I going to keep up with this toddler at 70 years of age? But that wasn't what was going on. There was great celebration. There was joy here. God had heard their prayer, especially Zechariah when he was in the temple, and he had answered, a healthy son has been delivered and God has been faithful to her. Remember back in chapter one, we read in verses 13. Let me read that to you, remind you. The angel said to him, that is Zechariah, do not be afraid for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. We can stand on the word of God. We're beyond the Christmas season, I know. You're probably taking down all your decorations tomorrow, getting ready for the new year. But this is good for today too, this story of this birth and the coming birth of the Messiah. God is true to his word. What promises do you need? What promises do I need from the word of God to rely upon? We certainly need the ones with regard to our salvation. Uh, This woman, Elizabeth Barron, later in years, had this promise and she, there's no indication that she was having these weird feelings. Oh, this can't be true. Even though 
her husband stepped up to do that for her, if you will. In 1874, in a flat in lower Manhattan, a blind woman answered a knock on her door. When she opened it, a man folded a piece of paper, put it into her hand and left without a word. When she was able to ascertain what it was, it was $10. She had been praying for money to pay her rent. And this, this is 1874, mind you, this satisfied what she needed. The man never spoke a word. She was blind. She didn't see him, but she had the money that she needed. And that day, Fanny Crosby penned the words to the hymn, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. Somebody had found Fanny Crosby and helped her pay her rent, inspired her to write that hymn. God meets our needs. He's true to his word. He will answer our prayers. What a God we serve. With their newborn son at her breast, perhaps Elizabeth remembered Sarah. Remember Sarah? Late in life, she delivered Isaac. Anybody remember what Isaac means? He laughs, laughter. I imagine it was a time of great joy in her life and perhaps Elizabeth dwelled on that. She certainly knew much of the scriptures. Well, verse 58 tells us the neighbors came. This is a community of believers. Uh, at least they seem to be Israelites in that community. They came and rejoiced with her. They were near. Some of her relatives weren't. Look how far Mary had to come to visit with her. But her neighbors were there. And uh, they showed, uh, we, they see God's great mercy and they rejoice with her. This is wonderful. They came, heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. I might add, you know, when we get an opportunity, we ought to share God's blessings in our lives with those around us, some perhaps who are unbelievers. You won't believe how God answered a prayer this past week. You know, that's what we have an opportunity to say about our son in some degree. He's not, not everything is past. He's having a few vision problems, but he's alive and all cancer is gone. We share that with people when we get an opportunity, not because Chris and Dennis are anything, but because God answers prayer and you are part of that. And we thank you. God answered our prayers in this way for this time. They're rejoicing here. God has answered a prayer and given new life to a woman who is beyond giving birth to children. As a matter of fact, has a history of zero children to her resume. They heard and they came. They saw God's great mercy. This also reminds us we should be kind to one another. Don't you know that there are people in our congregation that we ought to lament with, like some of the requests we heard today, as well as there are people we ought to rejoice with. Let's remember that as believers. Let's do these things. These neighbors came and they remembered. And we remember the words of uh, Romans 15 or 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That's our obligation as Christians, brothers and sisters. We, in America, we're so isolated and, and it's not getting better. <laughs> if you look at your children, your grandchildren, well, I guess grandchildren here, uh, how many of them go out and play like you and I used to do? Their biggest entertainment is to pull up a video game and sit down and 
begin to hit. Boom, 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 or texting. Very little interaction. And of course, with the school system the way it is, there weren't, wasn't much of that the past two or three years either. We need to interact. We need to speak to one another. We need to fellowship with one another. That's what's taking place here, and this is great. In verse 58, we read in the first place, her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord has shown mercy to her. They rejoiced with her. They had regards to her. And I believe they had regards to God over this matter too. They're rejoicing. What is their rejoicing in? That God was true to his word and gave Elizabeth this child. Well, in the second place, we see his being named and circumcised beginning in verse 59. This happens on what? The eighth day. Well, this is historically the day this was to be done. Uh, today you hear this thing, uh, if you know of any Jewish friends, I think this is called a bris. They get together for the circumcision of the sun and there's uh, refreshments. There's kind of like a little party. Uh, I guess it kind of be like uh, we might have when our child is baptized. They get together. That's what's taking place here. This Jewish custom, this was obedience to the ah. Uh, Command given back in Exodus to circumcise the male on the eighth day. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. What's going on here? Welcome to the covenant. Welcome. This child is part of the covenant. Very, very important, is it not? How do you view when we have a baptism here? Do you seriously listen to the words to the congregation when... Pastor, ask for your agreement to what is going on here. This is a covenant community we're part of. We've been asked to enter into this relationship with somebody, no relation to us by blood, who's going to have a child presenting before the Lord. That's what's going on here. This is a tremendous thing. <clears throat> and this was also doing something else. Let me go just past this to chapter 2 in Luke and verse 21 we read these words. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. We, I thought you were talking about John, Dennis. I am. <laughs> what he's done is you see his credentials are lined up with the one that he is the forerunner of. Jesus comes afterward and in obedience to the words of the Old Testament, is circumcised on the eighth day. John, it, now you might believe this, you might not, but it's true. John is building his resume here by his parents' hand, to be sure, by being circumcised on the eighth day in obedience to the law of the Old Testament. And as the forerunner of Jesus Christ, who's gonna have the same thing done eight days after he's born, he is <laughs> building his credentials Paul writes in uh, Philippians when he talks about himself, he's giving out his credentials. Listen how it starts. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. When he starts to list his resume to the Philippians, first thing he says is what? Circumcised on the eighth day. This was important. This was to be obeyed by all the Jews. And it was, of course, in the instance of John, we see 
After all, he is the forerunner of the Messiah. Why wouldn't he do this? He's getting ready for this ministry. What a blessing this is. Well, then in 59b on to 63, four verses, if you will, just to find out he's been named John. Look at 59b. They would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, certainly not. He shall be called John. If you remember in the story of Ruth, when a child was born, Naomi had the care of the child when you get to the end of the book of Ruth. And the other people are involved in this child's life. You have a similar case like this. These people from the community of Israelites have come and they have input into this or think they do about what this child should be named. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had that problem. I never did. My parents had, you know, whatever you want to name them, that's fine. We'll love them. <laughs> Thankfully, they did. They, they would if they're still alive. Well, these people had something to say. Don't you think he should be Zech Jr.? He's the son of Zechariah, a priest. Let's celebrate. Shouldn't he be that? I told my wife when our oldest was born that he would not be Dennis Jr. I don't want him to have to live up to anything, but more than that, I don't want him to have to live down anything. Well, by the grace of God, he hasn't had to thus far. So that's why I said I don't want a Dennis Jr. I guess that was selfish on my part. I don't know, but I really was looking out for Jay. No, he won't be Zechariah Jr., no matter what you... But all throughout our history, didn't we do this? Didn't we name him after a famous relative? And often they did in Israel. Not today, Elizabeth said. She says, no, he shall be called John. She's emphatic about this. And that's important. Why? Because she's listening to God through Gabriel. You shall call him John. Amen. I'll do it. That's what's going to happen. What reason should there be for this to be in obedience, to be doing what the angel said to do? Well, these are persist, persistent relatives. <laughs> Look what they say in verse 62. They said to her, none of your relatives are called by this name. And they made signs to his father. Okay, Elizabeth, we're going to go past you. We're going over and ask Zechariah what he says. We don't, we're not content with what you're... I don't understand what's going on here. Why they're so emphatic about their desire to have him name something they want rather than God's designated name of John. But they go to the extent of contacting Zechariah. And what a, what a revelation this is. They made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. What's significant about that verse? He wasn't, as far as we know, he wasn't deaf. Nothing was said about that. And we'll have a revelation about that in another verse or two. But somehow, I guess they figured he couldn't, he couldn't uh, hear as well as he couldn't speak. So they try to make some contact with him and they do this and he asks for a writing tablet and this is what he had to do because he couldn't speak. But you're right, it doesn't say anything about him not being able to hear. 
Now, a writing tablet then would be some kind of slate covered with like beeswax, and you would take some sort of stylist and write across that wax, making designations of the words you wanted to say. He asked for that writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. What is important about it? It's important because he's very emphatic. His name is John. It's settled. He doesn't say it will be at his confirmation, at his bris or anything like that. He says, it is John. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about this. I, I don't know. It's a staggering thing. But the, the choice of words there and the interpretation of this is right. This is the proper way to interpret this. It is John. It's settled. It's done. It's in the aorist tense. This was settled a long time ago, friends. His name is John. What a blessing. They all wondered. <laughs> you know, if it's a party like a bris is, they probably tipped over their cake or their drink and said, what? You're saying that too? Come on now. They were, they were wondering about all this. Look what happens in verse 64. <laughs> After he wrote this <clears throat> on the tablet, saying his name is John, he speaks. He speaks. Just think about that. This is a good reason why we don't need to just leave these verses here in the first couple of chapters of Luke for just the Christmas season. Think about this. What do you have here in that verse about him speaking? What do you have? What goes through your mind? It was a work of the Lord. Absolutely. Okay. But what is God saying through this? Zechariah, I punished you. Zechariah, I'm going to show you my grace. You can now speak. The time has passed of the pregnancy. The child is here. Now because we have clear indication that you believe his name is John, you're now going to be able to speak. God is so gracious. How many times has he forgiven us of our sins? Think of some of the things you've done throughout your life and God has still come back and blessed you. He's been your God. Think of the many times he's done that throughout all of scripture. You just think of the relationship Peter had with Jesus, how he just terribly sinned against the Lord. And the Lord there on the beach when he came back from the dead, reinstated Peter, blessed him, was gracious to him. Wonderful here. What does Zechariah mean? Do you remember that? It, rem it means God remembers Elizabeth means God is faithful. John means God is merciful. Jesus means God saves. Luke is giving us the story of redemption here. And one of the ways he does that is giving us these names. Who John was, who Elizabeth was, who Zechariah was, who Jesus is going to be in the next chapter. The work of God, in every one of these names, the word God is used to define that name. God is at work, and we have evidence of that. Luke is building up the history of redemption for us. 
in a very special way that we discussed way back at the beginning of chapter one. He is filling, uh, telling us the story of redemption and especially through this example here of Zechariah. This was a wonderful thing. Can you imagine the celebration? What would you have to say after being silent for nine months? <laughs> I was just, when I read over these verses, I was just thinking what I'd have to say after nine months. Uh, we're gonna have a family meeting and all the kids and grandkids are coming over. You wouldn't believe all the things I've been thinking about for nine months. Can you imagine his next sermon in the temple? <laughs> his next message to the people. Man, have I got a lot to tell you. And among those are how God is able to work through us and how he does faithfully keep his word. The priest is back. His faith and obedience enabled him to speak, if you will. God waited until Zechariah acted in faith before he gave him back the ability to speak. But God did that. He's so gracious to do it. The reaction is in verse 65. Fear came on all his neighbors. I think that's a natural reaction when we see supernatural works. Most of us haven't seen anything like this in our lives, but it ought to be the reaction. This doesn't happen every day. This is definitely the work of God. We need to look at this and praise him and, and there should be a reverential fear when we see God working, there should be. I, I don't know how to think of something where that might come into our lives. One way is if we see somebody we prayed for for 20 years come to know Jesus Christ in a saving way. Uh, maybe other things, the healing of somebody or other things like that. But these people were in awe. They were in fear of what had happened. They, it came on all the, the neighbors. One of the things to think about here, I don't know if they did, but I believe Zechariah did. This is not a run-of-the-mill affair here. If Zechariah was true to his learning, to his relationship with God as a priest, he would realize the way is starting for the Messiah to come. This is the forerunner that was promised. Hallelujah. This has happened. Gabriel's involved. He not only spoke to my wife, came and spoke to me. We see this thing happening. <laughs> and it, maybe his eyes were open. We we're not sure. But this is the beginning of the coming of the Messiah. Wow. That's one thing he might preach on for a week after he got his voice back. I don't know. One writer, I hesitate to, recite this, but I will. I hesitate because it's putting words in God's mouth as, as it were. Pressed by my cross, the rod I sent. Don't seek the cause, but the intent. We need to do that. What's the intent of all this? And I would give that with you, uh, ask you to take that with you as you leave here. What's the intent of everything that we see here? One of the things we see is that God does things differently than what we might think. How do some people come to be where they are in positions of leadership, wherever that might be? How do they come in the place uh, where they are in the church? How do certain things happen in our families with regard to redemptive history? 
things very unusual. Some of the people you've met in your life, you know, it's because you were at a certain place at a certain time on a certain day. You never would have met that person otherwise. God does things differently, and we need to remember that. We need to remember when we pray, <laughs> we are not dictating to him how this should be answered. It'll be answered, but it'll be in his way. One of the things I think we ought to take from this is remember the benefit of Zechariah's affliction. There was a benefit to this. There was a benefit because in the end, he was faithful, he was obedient. And God honored that by giving him his voice back. Silence was not in vain. It was not. In Job chapter 42, we read this. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. That might've been Zechariah's reaction. I've heard all these things. I know I practice these in the temple, but now I see you. I see your hand working in the life of my wife and me. My eyes have been opened. And we need to pray that all our afflictions would do us good, not just for judgment. That's what happened to Zechariah. He was being judged. But we have other afflictions. Let's pray that God would make them for our good and for his glory, whatever they might be. <laughs> well, spiritual health in verse 66 fathers, follows this. <laughs> All who heard them laid them up in their hearts and they said this, what then will this child be? What then? This is, this is a great, you know, they didn't just walk away saying, I, I dropped my cake. Could I have another piece here now that I'm settled down? They went away thinking here, what does all this mean? What's this all about? And we ought to do that when we read the word of God, when we hear it preached, when we study it in our devotions. What is this all about? We say, well, we've heard this story a hundred times. I know but there's still something there different for you that you may not have considered before. God's word is just endless in its meaning. And that was the great reaction here. What then will this child be? What then? Good way to go away from this meeting, isn't it? Elizabeth has a son. All of these circumstances surround the birth of this child. What does this mean? You know, you try to teach, uh, talk to your children after Sunday services uh, about what the message was about. What does that mean to you? You know, when our kids were little, a lot of times the pat answer was God. It was about Jesus, you know. And you really want them to focus on something like redemption, forgiveness. Well, this is a great opportunity to do that. You go home and you talk to your spouse or whoever else was there. What do you think all this means? What kind of child is this, this John? And the truth is, he's, he's a great child, going to be a great one. Well, that's all I got to say about the birth of John the Baptist. Do you have any comments or questions before I launch into the next portion of Scripture? Anything at all? Well, then, let us look at Zechariah's Benedictus, his Benedictus begins in verse 67 and runs through 80. I'll read this for you. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. 
has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then verse 80, after that, Benedictus. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This Benedictus, this song from Zechariah, here's one of the first things he did. He praises God. What a wonderful reaction. He can now speak. And what does he speak? He speaks praises to God the one who had afflicted him, if you will, because of his unbelief earlier, nine months ago. Now he's able to speak and he has nothing but praise for God. Is that your reaction when things are difficult in your life? Is that your reaction when you're blessed? Count your blessings, name them one by one. You can't help but do something like this when you go into an exercise like that of counting your blessings. Where does this come from? Verse 67 says, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesying. This is a great hymn of praise. Now he's prophesying. This is what he was called to do somewhat before in his role as a priest to proclaim the truth of the word of God. Now he does that in this great hymn of praise. Whereas Mary's Magnificent was a prayer, if you will, Zechariah's is basically a prophecy and we'll break this down here to see what all he's prophesying about. This is an unleashing of thoughts and emotions that have built up in him for nine months when he's been unable to speak. Just thinking of this passage we have before us, these 12 or 13 verses, he probably would have filled them uh, five or six of those be wax slates with the words that he's saying here. What a blessing he's able to speak. Well, this message is make, made up of four strophes. That's a, a way of uh, looking at Jewish uh, poetry, Hebrew poetry. The, the breaking down of this is into four different ways. And that's not to say that's what the message is about. I'm just telling you that's the form of the message we're looking at. Verses 68 to 70, we have a praise of thanksgiving. Verses 71 to 75, we're looking at the deliverance from God. 76 and 77, we have the place of John. 78 and 79, we have salvation. And uh, this is all important because what's taking place? Zechariah is telling us in this prophecy how this transformation from Malachi to now Luke is taking place or Malachi to Matthew. 
Basically, it's the transition from the old prophecy of the Old Testament to the new prophecy of the New Testament. And that's what he's dealing with here. It's been a great time of darkness, which we talked about before, some 400 plus years. And now light is seen, although it's not real bright yet, it's far off, but he sees light and is able to interpret it correctly. It's a time of deliverance for Israel. We see that in verse 79. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. He had to be filled with the Holy Spirit to see this and be able to interpret what's happening here. And that's what he's talking about in this passage. He must have recalled Isaiah chapter nine. And we often think of this at Christmas time, though not perhaps to verse two. We often think of six. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. That's what's about to happen. That's what's starting to unfold here. And Zechariah, I believe, has a glimpse of this. He's already have a few glimmerings of this, hasn't he? Gabriel came to talk to his wife. Gabriel came to talk to him. We haven't seen an angel since Malachi, 400 years. If something like this took place, it's not recorded in the scriptures. But now it has taken place. Why? Because this great day of redemption is dawning. There's a glimmer of hope in all of this. Once you get past whatever scares you or what you don't particularly understand, the Gabriel has come and he's come to the Annunciation to Mary, which we know about. She hurried over the terrain, uh, the some 60 to 70 miles to get to Elizabeth and talk to her because she understands she's pregnant with the Messiah. What light is coming within you know, our perspective here? He has glimpses of the truth of this. And now... He sees the birth of his own son who's the forerunner of the Messiah. Wow, it's a lot to take in. Well, listen as we hear our Zechariah. Verse 68, praise here for the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. You remember <laughs> he begins this, and this is, this is significant. This happens a number of times in scripture in crucial times. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Those are the exact same words that were used in 1 Kings chapter 1 at the time of the crowning of Solomon as king of Israel. Exact same words. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. That's, it. That's significant, and it's not anything just to be sloughed off. It, it is you know, in the history of redemption, that was important. We have other examples in uh, Exodus, and I'll go there and read a couple before we finish up for the day. All the way back in Exodus chapter four, let me read to you verse 31. Moses is here. Things have taken place. Moses was given powerful signs. He returns to Egypt. Some wonderful things are happening. And you get down to verse 31. And the people believed and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. They bowed their heads and worshiped. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. We have seen his work here in Exodus. It's time to get down and worship. And if uh, I may just uh, go a little bit further with that, God's, uh, the good response here that took place in Exodus was not something that Moses had expected at that point, but it did take place. They were worshiping this God who had delivered them. That's what's taking place here in, in Luke, worshiping the God who's about to deliver his people again in this particular way, the things that are going on here with the coming of John you can see and begin to feel the stress that's building here with what God is doing. He is working this out, the redemption of his people, and in a special way, this is the climax of history, the coming of the Messiah. Wow, there's a lot to think about here. He uses the description of this in verse 69. He raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Well, in the Old Testament, that description was one of power when it talked about a horn. There was, of course, the example in the lives of the Egyptians, uh, not the Egyptians, the Israelites, where they sometimes had oxen. You remember that's what we used in a bad situation where the ark was moved erroneously in the time of David. They hooked up some oxen to do this. <laughs> they were used. Those horns of the oxen were an example of power. And you think of that, you think of a buffalo and the horns there or of a rhinoceros. This is an example of power and that's what's being described here. The horn of what? Salvation for us. Wow, what a great prophecy this is. And it fulfills a prophecy given many times before. Particularly, let me take you back to Psalm 41, and we'll probably close with this. We're looking at the working out of this prophecy of deliverance, and it's to come through the Messiah. Too bad they don't exactly understand what that means, but we will eventually. Back in Psalm 41, we read in verse 13, the exact same words. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And then there are two other places where that is used in Psalms. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's also used in Psalm 72 and Psalm 106. Why is he blessed? Because he's delivering his people. It is not political deliverance, which the people at the time of Jesus often thought it was, but it's deliverance of the ultimate kind from sin. One of the things you see here is... Uh, I believe, especially in verse seven, is the doctrine of, of inspiration taking place here. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. That is what inspiration is. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And that's what is taking place here. What a fabulous Benedictus this is. And we've just begun to touch the surface. Do you have any questions or comments before we close? We're obviously not going to get through this entire dissertation of Zechariah today. Any comments or questions? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for this blessed day, for the hope that we see even in the word of God from the birth of John the Baptist. Father, your ways are above our ways. They are often past our finding out, but we look to the scripture 
for the truth of this. Thank you that we have the written word, the testimony of these things that have taken place. And we know this side of the birth and death of Jesus Christ, how magnificent all of this history is. Help us to appreciate it, to use it for the furtherance of your kingdom and bless it to our lives that we might be better subjects of yours. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.